My name is Dante Leon, and you're listening to Inside Position. Sacrifices. you got to make sacrifices with your team. To answer your question. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Inside Position, a brand new podcast with me, Tom Halpin. Each week, Inside Position will bring you some great conversations, stories, and insight from the grappling world, featuring guests such as black belt world champions, professional MMA fighters, and other legends of the sport. The podcast will be available on all your favorite podcast platforms, so make sure to subscribe and follow to avoid missing any episodes. Our first guest is 2019 Nogi World Champion Dante Leon. Dante has been one of the most active and exciting competitors the past few years, and it was great to chat to him about how he adapted some of his early successes as a juvenile to the black belt level. Also, we chatted about his breakout performance at ADCC, and some of the mental aspects of training and competing at a high level, as well as much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Dante. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, brother. I want to start off with what in your mind means success as a grappler? Honestly, uh, I mean, it depends what you're looking at. I mean, if you're looking at as far as a competitor, it, it's it's pretty simple, I think, is reaching your potential, you know. Uh, I think a lot of people always say that they want to win this many titles or that many titles. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of like what your potential is. You know, if you're putting all these, um, all this pressure on yourself, all these like goals and everything, and you, you might be missing the whole boat, like to begin with, if you live up to your potential, what's going to happen happens, you know? So I think that's the biggest one for a competitor, but I really don't know. I know a lot of people have different goals as a grappler. Some people just have a goal to get to a black belt. Once they do, it's almost like they don't train anymore. You know what I mean? So yeah, I guess it just depends what you do. Yeah, I know guys who are like brown belts, man, or black belts, and they get to the, the level they want or they're close, and they're just like, fuck it. You know, they train like once a month maybe, you know, sometimes not at all. That's actually similar enough to the way I would think about it as well. But then I always feel if I'm not living up to my my potential, I might feel not, let's say, insecure about it, but I would always be worried if I was doing something that was not really what I should be doing. Do you ever feel the pressure with having, because obviously you know that you have a very high potential. So does that bring different pressures with it, I suppose? I mean, it it, it does for sure. I mean, sometimes you, you always have to have kind of like an inner battle with yourself, whether you deserve to, you know, am I this good or am I actually, you know, doing what I think I should be doing, all this stuff. You know, if you lose a match, it's like it's always a little bit devastating, you know. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you kind of have to look at this thing as a long road, you know. So, kind of having to know where you see yourself finishing out and then making goals back from that, you know. So, at 25 years old, you have like your main goal of like what you want to have at, 40 let's say and then you kind of just backtrack and make other goals through that so uh that way you don't ever look at something like if you miss something or you're not where uh you you might have seen yourself or or the result doesn't come that you could you know that you hope for that you train for at least you have you know 15 more years to look ahead and be like shit okay you know let's calm down you know that's kind of similar as well to how you would look at jujitsu itself. Like I always think focus on the submission first, get good at finishing the submissions, the good positions, and then work your way back and back. Because it's kind of less complicated at the very end when you have just mm-hmm. the simple goal. You work your way back and then you're more able to deal with the complicated stuff, I suppose. 
Exactly. It's not, I mean, things aren't that difficult, you know. People sometimes get involved in things that make them more difficult than they should be. So the simpler you can make things and the easier you can look at it, I think the better. Yeah. And you've been competing at a high level since you were very young as well. So you probably always, it's probably more normal for you maybe than someone who comes into it a, a bit older. Like you're probably winning world championships since the juvenile level. So how was it going then from juvenile into competing against adults and probably you know you've won a lot of juvenile world championships and then you go in there's bigger brackets how was it kind of how was the mental side of going into tougher competition with still having obviously very high expectations so like with adult competition i i was doing really well in adult competition outside of like the high level ibjjf stuff for a long time you know so like Fighting adults wasn't necessarily a new thing, but the difference in the amount of competitors and the level of uh, competition, it, 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 there are quite a few differences. I mean, the divisions are huge, you know, 100 plus, I think, in every division from featherweight to like middle heavy, um, you know, at, at the time, at least. I know like some years it's kind of up and down, but I remember Pan Am's I had seven or eight matches to win a lightweight division at adult, you know, and then four matches in juvenile was quite a bit. But you also had the other thing about juvenile too, is like everybody was good. There was no like random blue belt kid who was like, okay, who was like, yeah, we're going to go to worlds. You know what I mean? And miss like a week of school uh, during high school. Like no way. You know what I mean? Everybody who was there was like super good, especially when the kids came from Brazil and the yeah, uh, even kids from like when I was competing from Japan and things like that, like the kids were all killers. You know what I mean? Yeah, I always thought the juvenile, if you think about it, it's actually more legit winning juvenile blue belt worlds than winning blue belt adult worlds. That's not to say it might be harder or not, but at the time, it's actually the best young people in the world because they couldn't mm -hmm. be ranked higher than blue belt, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. So I always thought it was actually more legit than people would have thought. So, like, I was one of the first years, like, I won uh, American Nationals at adult blue belt in the open class when I was 16. And then my idea was, like, oh, cool, I'm just going to go compete at adult um, from now on, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I didn't. I couldn't. The IBJJF said no, you know. I don't know what the reason was, but they said oh, really? no. No more juveniles competing in the adult division. So okay. that kind of was like weird because I kind of got held back a little bit, you know, and I, it was hard to get the motivation again because I, I my motivation was kind of like really excited to compete Always against. going forward. And yeah, to compete against those guys, you know what I mean? Like I just wanted to see what would happen. I didn't have too much pressure on myself. I was just a yeah. kid and. And then you have to sit back and compete at the juveniles and you're like, oh man, you know, I already won at adult. I don't know if I like, re so you had to hype yourself up to do it. And I remember that year was crazy at Worlds, man. I mean, like the amount of kids that were in that division that ended up, that we've ended up going to black belt and having success in competition, you know what I mean? It's, it's crazy, man. It's crazy to it's see. Crazy. And obviously you're from... Canada so there probably wasn't too much we say big teams there's probably a good bit of people doing jiu-jitsu but when you were coming up how did you handle I suppose coming from small teams and you probably got a lot of attention as well from some of the big teams they see this great up-and-comer and you know a combination of they want to help you but they all also probably want you to represent them was there was there that kind of outside attention and stuff 
Definitely was, man. Definitely was. I mean, that was when jujitsu was at a time that, um, and now I think it's easier if you're from a, a small team. Now I think it's easier if you're from, um, you know, not like a head gym or anything. If you're from like a, a smaller town, you're kind of in like my situation or, or your situation when you started out for that matter. I think now it's way, way easier because they're just so much more available. There's just so much more jujitsu available to people. Um, jujitsu has really grown. Jujitsu has really evolved. Back in my time, it was like we all thought you had to be on like a big team. You know what I mean? And I, I think I was one of the ones who accepted the fact that I didn't need to be and kind of realized and uh, started to do things differently. But even then, things suffered. You know what I mean? So yeah. coming up, there was always kind of that interest from like different teams and things. And there was the interest from me. Um, about bigger teams and things like that. But when you're young, you know, I was in a situation. I'm pretty thankful for my, my parents for this, you know. They uh, they made me finish school. I did try and go to university. I didn't do great, you know. I wasn't at a time, you know, honestly, I wasn't at a time in my life where I thought it was good for me to go to school and it just wasn't a successful thing, you know. So wasn't ready for it. Still had something to accomplish in jiu-jitsu and ended up committing – all the way to that and it's it's been great ever since yeah it sounds very similar to the a lot of the things that i've kind of had going up so had a small team had to travel mm -hmm. a lot kind of had to i was always nearly surprising myself with how with how much i was improving because obviously you don't have that many that much expectations at first and yeah pretty much the exact same with university as well did a couple of years and then realized well i'm actually i'd rather be good at one thing instead of okay at two things and yeah, I haven't really looked back since, but it, I just remember it actually as well. The the first time we met, this just remind me because of all the the talk of winning juvenile championships and all the the attention when you were young and stuff. But it was in Miami for probably ADCC camp 2015. I think we were both purple belts at the time. I'd been a purple belt maybe a year, year and a half. It was just before I got my brown belt actually. And I was probably one of the better purple belts at the gym, let's say. You came in, we were doing the sparring and stuff, and one of the coaches came up to me and was like, I'm going to put you to roll with uh, with another purple belt guy. He's good. So he was kind of telling me, like, go hard. Like, don't be don't be a pussy and defend the house a little bit. And I was like, I thought I was great. I was like, yeah, yeah, I felt, I felt amazing. Like, he had picked me out. It meant you were good if you were chosen to kind of defend the house. Yeah. And then I see Dante across from me and I'm like, oh yeah, he looks tough. And like, you were probably a little bit shorter than me, but I didn't realize that you were actually probably a good few kilos heavier than me. And let's just say the round wasn't very easy for me. <laughs> and I was wrecked after it because I tried so hard because I could feel the coach's eyes watching me. And I went over to the side of the mat to John, our friend. All John said to me was, uh, I've seen him in Gracie Mag before. Don't worry. <laughs> so what was the story behind getting in gracie mag and all that stuff when you were because you, you were probably pretty young at that stage you might have been maybe 19 i'd say i i think the first time i ever got mentioned in gracie mag was um when i first won juvenile worlds when i was 16 i won the um juvenile the open class of juvenile one and i think that that's kind of what propelled me into that i'm pretty sure you know after that, I think it'd be the American Nationals. And then my sponsor, Origin BJJ, was my sponsor. I had like a picture in there. Kind of that. I think that's the thing that people 
remember remember me from most because I was kind of like modeling a gi, you know, and whenever I shave my face, I think I look the exact same I did, you know, when I was younger, <laughs> like I just have a baby face, man. So I think people recognize me from that, but you know, that was like, li- that was like a life goal back in the day about getting a Gracie oh, bag. There was hardly any jujitsu like, media back in the day. If yeah, you even, man. if you were in the background of something in Gracie mag, you were like jujitsu famous. You used to take like, I used to go to like the gyms and if they had Gracie mag, I'd just like grab it and rifle through it. Like, you know, look at every picture, read every article, find somebody's name who I hadn't seen before and like go and look that dude up on YouTube and see if he was good. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Gracie Mag was like, people don't know because we're still like a young generation, but we used to use that thing like the newspaper, yeah. man. You used to go in there to find gyms. You used to go in there to like see locations and tournaments and all kinds of shit, man. They even had techniques in a magazine. Imagine learning a technique from a magazine. It had I like learned... split up into 10 pictures <laughs> so... and like, I don't know. I'm imagining a white belt trying to figure out how to do this technique from one page in a magazine, but... Sure, fair, fair play to them. They they were selling a few copies of it. Oh, they were. Growing up in Canada as well, you must have played hockey when you were younger. Yeah, I did, man. I did. I played hockey. That's good training for fighting in itself, but how was... Did you learn much from other sports and being competitive? Like, did that help you with a head start in jiu-jitsu or it just didn't matter too much? Uh, I, I was kind of... I don't want to say that, like, I was never, like, the best at something when I first started it, but I was never really that bad. Like, I, I could I could do everything pretty well. Like, I, I had I, – I'm pretty gifted athletically, you know what I mean? Like, things, things come uh, – what I see, like, a little bit easier to me almost, but I never really, like, committed and excelled at anything. Did you ever think you wanted to be a pro hockey player or anything? Yeah, I mean, everybody has that that thought because you start playing at a high level. That you think, uh, yeah, I'm going to be playing in the NHL or I'm going to be doing this or doing that. You know, that's always a thought. But um, I think I just got a little more real with myself a little sooner. I think some people kind of hang on to things a little too long, you know, hang on to shit too long, not knowing when to let go as far as sports go. And as far as hobbies, as far as things like this, even, but I think it's because I found jujitsu, you know, I found jujitsu when I was 12 years old and that helped me be like, okay, this is what it's like to really like something. You know what I mean? Like I thought I liked it. It's like a, you know, a bad relationship or like a girlfriend you thought you liked, you know what I mean? You, You have a, yeah, you have a real, a realization. You see something in your life and you're like, you know, shit, I didn't love that sport, you know? So that's kind of the realization I had. And then I said, like, you know, I still like hockey and I want to play hockey part time. Like I want to play um, travel or house league hockey in my hometown, you know, play with my friends, have fun, enjoy. But then I started to realize and I had this conversation with my dad, who is also the one who got me involved in jujitsu. My dad said, like, hey, you're still going to be playing hockey two and three times a week. You're still going to be doing jujitsu probably like two times a week on top of that you know what I mean so like you're not going to be able to train all that much because when I didn't play hockey that summer I was like you know fucking train every day and go to five classes a week you know what I mean like whatever drill at home watch jujitsu and everything like that like hockey wasn't even a thought so I realized like man if I'm going to put as much time into hockey 
and take away from jujitsu. I don't, I don't want to, you know, so I quit altogether. I literally haven't played a pickup game of hockey or anything since I was 12 years old. And would you still be able to skate? For sure. I've gone skating before, yeah, you know, yeah. like kind of open ice skates or, uh, had some friends actually that like rented out the ice and we all went out there. Like, you know, it never really leaves me. I started skating when I was five or six years old and I played hockey at a really high level for, uh, you know, Adam and Pee Wee age groups. So yeah, I can, I can skate. The skating stuff. My friends try and make me go every single year because they get an ice rink in my hometown in Limerick in Ireland. Everyone wants to go and I'm just like, I am not going because I fully know that I'm going to kill someone else or myself or break my ankle or every time I leave, it's like I'm after doing the most hardcore tournament ever. I'm bruised, messed up. So yeah. the skating is definitely off the list for me. <laughs> See, it's like a it's like a weird thing almost. Like um, where I grew up in Canada is a lot like where I am now, like Midwestern Ohio, you know, Midwestern USA. And hockey's big here, you know. We have we have winter. It's cold. There's a lot of snow on the ground, and a lot of ice, and this is a big uh, hockey region. I mean, a lot of places here um, play a lot of hockey. Have a lot of AAA teams for kids and a lot of professional hockey teams in the bigger cities so when you start to get out like in florida or something like that and you start to put you know ice down and have people skating you're gonna see a lot of people don't really know how to skate it's not gonna end well yeah so like over here if you go skating and you know how to skate or you're like pretty good you think uh you're probably not like the only one man because there's like so many kids growing up here that played hockey girls that figure skated you know stuff like that and do you ever miss anything about like the the team sports environment or because myself, sometimes I would be a bit jealous of people who are, let's say, professional players in not so much just team sports, but people that are part of leagues where they get to compete every weekend. And it's like, sometimes I feel jiu-jitsu, you compete a few times a year and they're all really big events and there's a lot of pressure and everyone is really tuned in to whether you win or lose and... You know, so sometimes I would wish to have that like team environment back where you're competing every week, you're kind of working towards a championship. And do you ever feel like you wish something like that would be in jiu-jitsu or you just, I suppose you just embrace jiu-jitsu for what it is? Well, yeah, I mean, if you do jiu-jitsu, you got to kind of embrace it for what you got here and now. But I do miss some things about a team sport. I do miss the things about a team environment. I miss the, the camaraderie team sports have i mean people can say whatever they want about their jujitsu and their teams and everything you know and it, it, it could be true but people don't really know what it's like to um be like that like with a team when you see those guys playing you know if you want to stay on the subject of hockey it's 82 games a year you want to stay on the subject of baseball it's 164 games a year that's great plus training camps plus all the tryouts plus everything that you're with the same people day in day out and then not knowing the next day if somebody gets traded and they're gone. You know what I mean? A guy who's like your your family. So, like, people don't really understand. They think they understand what it is because jiu-jitsu and individual sports are a struggle. And everybody wants to talk about family of your training partners. But I don't think people really understand what it's like to be on a, a professional sports team. You know, it's not that I'm saying I understand it. But, I mean, at, at least you, you have to sit back and kind of respect that a little bit. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And like in Ireland, it's all about like all the big sports are all team sports. So that's kind of the the thing that everyone 
when you think of sport you think of team sports i suppose but it's tough it's, it must be tough for them as well being away from family like if you're doing over 100 games a season i don't know how you do it like sometimes i think jiu-jitsu is a very kind of selfish pursuit that you have to be selfish with it but those team sports they're they're probably even more so i think we actually had a good conversation about this before and you were giving me some advice about how to handle feeling selfish let's say with jiu-jitsu because obviously going back to that thing of realizing you have a lot of potential but especially when you're from let's say a small town you have to sacrifice a lot of other things to to try and make it i suppose and to try and reach your limits and sometimes i'm sure most people doing that they would feel a bit selfish so but i think you were just giving me good advice at the time to just look it is what it is and you gotta you gotta keep going basically short window man that's what people don't understand mm. you know a short window and, and you don't know what's going to happen in that time as i like i said about the the long goal and, and kind of reeling back down the line and, and making goals along the way leading up into the present. You don't know what's going to happen, man. You know what I mean? And, and it's not a lot of time. You have a short amount of time that you have to dedicate yourself to this. It's, you can't take the time off and give it to your girlfriend. You can't take the time off and uh, party. You can't take the time off and do whatever and just do it later. It's not like school, you know, to be a hundred years old and go to school. Yeah, it's not what this is, you know, professional sports, this, this uh, way of life, you have a, a short amount of time to do it. And if you do it right, you can enjoy the rest of your life doing all the things that you missed before, you know, so that's the way I look at it. And I, I always, yeah. sometimes I feel bad, you know what I mean? And, I, and it's not like I feel bad for myself, because, you know, I'm happy as a pig and shit doing what I'm doing. But, you know, sometimes I want to, sometimes I know people want to see me. Sometimes I know uh, family misses me or that, uh, certain people would, would do better if I was in their life more or if I was there. And I, I do stay committed and I do try and do the most of that, that I can. But at the same time, it's a, it's a, it's a selfish way of life. Just like you said. Yeah. It was definitely nice to hear that at the time. It just kind of made me feel like almost, okay, I'm feeling this way is almost a signal that I'm on the right track. If you know yeah. what I mean? Like if I wasn't feeling that, then I probably wouldn't be doing enough at the time, you know. But, uh, For sure. Yeah, it's a tough game. But how did you, because obviously you're competing now at a level, you're competing against a lot of people who are on big teams, have a lot of well-known training partners, a lot of people who have a lot of full-time coaches and not too much responsibilities outside of being an athlete. I was just wondering, how do you compete with them? Because you kind of have to, you, you can't compete at their own game because it's hard to do it better than them if you come from a small town but i know you study a lot and you study a lot of different methods but what are some of the ways you would maybe structure your training or how how are things different so that you can have an edge over those guys because you've been getting the results so it shows so i was just wondering what kind of training things you do a bit differently maybe to everyone else uh, the thing that i think is the most different i actually had this conversation with somebody uh yesterday uh the thing that i think it, it really separates is when you take into account these places these teams that have full-time coaches or that have people on the sidelines that are committed to the coaching aspect and i don't i'm the one who has to do that kind of formulation and i'm the one who has to have that open mind enough to be able to incorporate you know 
uh, strategy, game plan, advice from other people. So it's almost like I have to do like a little bit of overtime work, you know, like a extra studying, whatever studying that other people do. I pretty much have to do twice as much, you know what I mean? Because I don't have, I have to be sure I have to know a lot more than you because I basically have to do it like for myself or alongside the, the help of peers, you know what I mean? Yeah. As far as structuring strategy, game plan type things. So I think that part's a little bit different. That's what kind of separates me is I'm used to that that work and I, I just think that I can do that and, and that does help out, you know. Obviously, I'm working on putting things in play to have um, kind of what other people have, you know what I mean? Because then uh, I know my workload is extremely high. I know my capacity is extremely high and I know I, I'm extremely durable when it comes to this kind of thing. So I know if I can kind of get a one or two little things kind of into place that uh, I can have a, a extremely big advantage because then I won't have to be like working extra to have on par with everybody else. Then I'll already have what everybody else has and my extra work will just be, you know, even more improvement. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you structure your own training? So like, are you in charge, let's say, of what you're doing at training and how many rounds you're doing and what position in the sparring you're doing and what drills you're doing, different things? Or Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the one who's kind of in charge of that. If any if anything kind of comes about or anything changes up with it, uh, it's going to kind of be up to the people who are in the room. You know what I mean? So I have a great group of guys that I train with daily and I have a great group of guys who I intermingle with training. You know, some of my main training partners um, – are the Daisy Fresh guys from the, you know, the Pedigo guys. Uh, we train together a lot outside of my, my team and my team goes down there and they come up here. I mean, that's awesome. And Heath, Heath Pedigo has been a big help for me as far as a, a, a peer to bounce ideas off of and get his coaching advice and how he is in the corner. I mean, he's great, you know, but things like that is what helps uh, bring that game up, you know. And do you sleep in the shade when you go down to... No, they let they let me stay in the house. They they don't uh, they don't take me down to the shed. Black belts only in the house. That's right. Yeah, those guys seem crazy, but they seem to have a good bond as well. From what I've seen, I haven't seen too much on it, but it's funny to see the mix of craziness, but also the kind of family environment and vibe. I suppose. Oh, they're really good. You know, they're all really good people, man. You know, the whole that whole core team there they're all really really good guys and i have a great relationship like i said not only with heath but with a bunch of the guys there they've helped out a lot man and i, I mean the memory is about like hanging out with those guys and doing all kinds of shit you know they're just they're awesome man and do you think there's any advantages that being from a small team and having more control of your training has over some of the bigger teams I do think there's advantages, you know, one of the advantages is kind of what I was talking about where you're kind of more responsible and you have to put in that extra work. I think that that just helps you understand jujitsu more, you know, and I think that helps you understand yourself more. I think something that I have over a lot of people is I'm really real with myself, you know, I'm really real with myself. I can look in the mirror and be honest about what I see. I can, I can look at my game. I can give myself an overview. And I'm honest and I don't spare my feelings. So if you see any weakness, you would just tackle it straight away. I'm not going to bullshit myself. 
you know, if I had a shit day, I had a shit day. If I, if I feel like I'm lacking, I'm lacking, you know, and if somebody's going to sit there and tell me, even if it's like a training partner, even if it's a training partner, who's a student of mine, who's going to say like, Hey man, you know, you're not feeling that good. Or, Hey man, you're feeling really good. I'm going to be open to those kind of comments, you know, that it, it, it forces you to be like that. It forces you to be open minded. And being open-minded in jiu-jitsu is it, – it, that, that's something that people don't put a lot of importance on. And that's, I think, one of the biggest ones. And when a lot of people would think of you as well, one of your biggest assets would be your wrestling. So I was wondering, how did you get that level of wrestling? Because it's like wrestling wrestling. It's not like wrestling for jiu-jitsu. I know how to do a double leg and a single leg. Do you train with college athletes or how did you get into that and how was the how was the progression with it? Well, I've always been a big believer if you want to learn how to do something, you learn how to do it. Um, you know, judo for BJJ, jiu-jitsu for BJJ. I always hated that mindset because it was like I came from a martial arts background. I came from from you know, a bunch of a bunch of uh, culture around martial arts, you know, this sounds funny, but like my dad was like crazy big in all kinds of different martial arts, boxing, all kinds of things like that. So like I saw all the, you know, Kung Fu magazines in the basement. You know what I mean? I saw all the uh, Bruce Lee movies and Bloodsport and all this stuff. And then being somebody who gets interested by it, you start to study different things. You know what I mean? You start to look, kind of look shit up and, and ask questions and, and things like that. And I kind of built my mind up. So when I, when I, got to be in jujitsu we would do takedowns all the time and i'm like why are we doing this when i look up wrestling online on my shitty computer at home you know why are we doing that like that's not really like what it is we're wrestling's wrestling you know judo's judo why don't we just study the martial art it's a completely different martial art you know if you want to learn how to do you know punching and kicking you don't just go randomly learn how to do some like street fighter combos and expect to be okay you know you're gonna you're gonna have to go and study how to box you're gonna have to go and study uh, a combat art you know so and were you able to go back and work on that with a specific wrestling team so i had a lot of different people that i trained with and i'm in ohio so it's not hard to find good wrestlers you know i mean they're all over here and uh, right now, I'm really fortunate to be kind of under a lot of different good wrestlers who have D1 college wrestling experience, you know, um, just to name a few. I mean, Lance Palmer, we're working together with Lance Palmer, Logan Steber, um, a few other guys, Michael Pixley. Um, I know a lot of guys probably listening to this doing jujitsu, Sly Bosselman, Nate Hagen. I mean, probably don't know who those are, but you know, state champions in high school wrestling yeah. since they were little kids. You know what I mean? Uh, some of them even world-class Logan Steber's world champ. So, you know, I, I know that those guys know a lot. The people who are doing well in wrestling tournaments, I mean, they are really killing it because those brackets are huge. Everyone in high school is doing it. Like the competition is very stiff. And as well, I only found out recently that if you have flow grappling, you have flow wrestling automatically as well. So that's kind of a good a good chance for everyone to get their get their wrestling fix in. But wrestling something, man. I think guys in jujitsu, you know, for a long time and even now, it's 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 kind of like that. It's either that they just 
uh, we'll find a way to not do it. Or we'll just do, you know, wrestling for jujitsu, you know. Basically, we just do, you know, single and double leg, and that's pretty much it. But we don't actually learn how to wrestle because what people don't understand is just like boxing and just like jujitsu, if you don't know how to move your feet, you don't know how to move your hands, and you don't know how to stand, if you don't know how to move your head, just basic things that don't even require you really touching another person. We're not even getting into takedowns yet. You're just going to like forget all of that and go straight to like a takedown. You know what I mean? It's, it's like not knowing how to, to hip escape. It's like not knowing how to do a, a break fall or forward roll or anything like this, not knowing what a close guard is and going into jujitsu and I'm going to teach you how to do a triangle. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, cool. Okay, you, you you know it, but you you literally know nothing else. You know what I mean? Like you, you're gonna go you're gonna go to a party and be like, hey, like let me show you something. No, you have to put like one arm inside my leg and do this. Like you have to do what I say, otherwise I can't look cool. You know what I mean? So um, that's the thing. And like boxing, if you don't know how, if you don't know footwork, if you don't know how to keep your hands up, if you don't know how to stand. Why you're not even going to throw a punch effectively. Like you're not going to hurt anybody. The wrestling advantage showed a lot at ADCC and especially against the match with um, Lucas Lepre. You were probably one of the performances that people remembered the most as having kind of a, not a breakout performance, but it was, it definitely, you were one of the athletes to remember from the competition. But then at the same time, being so close to the podium and just missing out, was it kind of bittersweet or how were you after the tournament? Were you happy? Were you disappointed or a mix of them both, I suppose? I was happy, man. You know, I was a, I was a late call to ADCC. Got the call in mid to late July. And was out there by the end of September, you know, and uh, put on a great performance. Had uh, good W's in the first day in my first fight against Satava and then against Lepre. And then I fell short. In the next fights, you know, was I upset to miss the podium? Yeah. I mean, I obviously wanted to win. I don't think that getting a late call out was all that bad because I did have a good camp and I did make things right for that tournament. But, um, you know, I, I was lacking some things at the time. And I think the tournament was, uh, the tournament was just a great turning point for me. You know, it's not like I didn't, I didn't prove anything to myself at that tournament. I proved to everybody else, I think, what my level is. I think I showed myself what I need to work on. And I think I gave myself a taste of like uh, the highest level you can get, you know. I got I got a taste of the Olympics of grappling. And I don't think anybody else goes there and gets a bigger taste than what I got. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I got to be there for four matches in my weight division. That's the most you can fight in the weight division. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't fight in the finals with the – you know, the grand finale and the lights and everything. I get it, but I was there. You know what I'm saying? I was literally backstage. So um, I had four matches there on those mats. I made weight all three days. I got to weigh in the last day when nobody else got to weigh in. You know what I mean? Only the, the semifinalists. I got a great experience there. It's not like I went there, fought one fight, lost, went home, felt shitty. I got to just, I was so involved in the tournament. You know what I mean? So I got a huge, huge taste for that and, and you know, as a, as a big of a taste as I could, I think. And for that, man, I'm extremely happy because that tournament was just, that tournament was just amazing, you know. 
I know ADCC, everybody's told me, Wagner's always told me, you know, ADCC is different. ADCC is the, the energy there, the vibe there. It's always different. I was like, yeah, but, you know, that last one was pretty fucking cool on top of it, man. You know, the production and everything, it, it, it's a lot cooler than when they used to be in just they used to just be like a random tournament. It used to look like a grappler's quest, you know what I mean? With just really good guys. I feel like, yeah, if there was anyone to do, it was the last one. It was uh, it was definitely something special. I agree. But how was it cutting weight to have to weigh in again the next day? Because you were probably a little bit above 77 naturally, would you? Because I know you compete middleweight. Yeah, yeah. So like walking around, you know, 180-ish, you know, so getting down. So how was it dropping down then after? Because obviously you want to refuel after having a couple of tough matches, but you have to keep it in mind. Were you cutting weight the next morning? Uh, it was more just kind of trying to get down to that weight before I ever got out there and getting comfortable there. And I'm 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 thankful I got the invitation when I did because it gave me enough time to kind of test. It gave me enough time to get my weight down there and kind of stay there and see do I feel good here or am I going to need to like load up into a water cut every night? You know what I mean? Like I wanted to test that out. I want to see, you know, I know I can get down to 160, I believe it's 166 and a half or 167 and a half. I know I can get down there easy. I just want to make sure that I can stay around that 170 mark and feel really good. You know what I mean? Obviously I had some time you know, about three months before the tournament that I could really test things out or two months before the tournament I could really test things out. You know, two, three weeks at the beginning, got right down, felt great, put on a little weight to finish out the camp healthy and then cruised the last week and a half at that weight, feeling good, feeling fast. And then when I got out there, I wasn't really having to cut so much weight as opposed to kind of having a, a, a quick hot shower, quick little steam. Uh, to bed and then get up early make the weight and, and refuel in the morning you know that definitely sounds like a smarter approach than some of the other ways i saw a few people had to straight after their matches on the first day had to have a tiny little bit to eat and then go to bed early to get up and go to the sauna again which would have been a killer i think yeah i know there's some guys who had to cut like a lot of weight and do like a lot of crazy shit you know but i uh I know you can do that, and I know there's guys who feel good when they do that, and I've had to do it before. If you plan for things right and you prepare for things correctly, um, you load up on the on the uh, nutrients you need to to do, and you you dump what you have what you need to get rid of, and and you load up on water. Yeah, it's easy. You know, you can you can float out a lot of weight overnight, go sweat out, you know, six, seven, eight pounds in the morning, no problem. But you know, I can avoid doing that altogether, a little more discipline on the diet, um, less risky. I mean, my body weight staying where it is. I can kind of cruise there and feel natural and feel good. I can go to bed at the same time. I can eat the same meals all through the week. I don't have to do anything to drastically change up my diet and change up my uh, physical makeup. So that that's kind of what works better for me. Moving on from that impressive performance just a couple of months later, you won the Nogi World Championships. How was it going from maybe being a little disappointed, being very close at ADCC, and then to winning your first Black Belt World title just a couple of months later? What was that feeling like? So after ADCC, I had like three super fights that I did. I also did like a absolute tournament. I lost the absolute tournament in the semifinals, and then I won all three 
uh, super fights after that. But then I was like at the end of my last one was in England and I was kind of on the fence about Nogi Worlds, you know what I mean? But I won and I was feeling great and my body was feeling good. And I said, you know what, man, like I've had a lot, like a lot of camps this year, like a lot of things. I'm going to like get through this last, you know, part of training that's pretty intense. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to make it anything stupid. I'm going to get through it healthy and compete at Nogi Worlds. I feel great. You know, I feel sharp. I basically had six months of a training camp, basically, you know, like with ADCC is always the training camps. 10 to 8 weeks at least I think um, strict and focused not to mention whatever else you're doing probably a year of training leading up to it you know so as far as that went you know I thought I was ready I thought I felt good the main thing was I just had to stay healthy was came off that match with Marcio Andre feeling great feeling healthy Um, got back you know wasn't sick I knew I just had to put it together for 3 weeks and I could be a Nogi World Champ so that's what I decided to do. And was it an amazing feeling finally getting the job done? Because I know, I think you had meddled at it the world before as well. Or sorry, the uh, the year before. So how was the feeling when you knew finally I'm a world champion officially? 2017, I got a bronze medal. I lost by a ref's decision. And then 2018, I got a bronze medal. And I lost by an advantage, you know. And each year I was getting better. You know, I won... First, the first year I won my matches on points, then lost in the semifinals. 2018, I kind of dominated all my matches, submitted everybody leading up to the semifinals, then I lost. And then I thought, like, you know, just, you know, natural progression. I've gotten a lot better, um, a lot more confident, you know, everything like that. I can win. I can win this year. You know what I mean? And hindsight, I'm really glad I did because there was no world, uh, Nogi World Championships this year, man. So if I would have like skipped out on something that I was healthy enough to do, um, I would be pretty upset, you know. So that's why I kind of don't let those opportunities go away. Even sometimes if I might spread myself a little thin, I don't let those opportunities slide away because, uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen. COVID's a perfect, if you're a jiu-jitsu athlete and you take shit for granted, COVID's a great fucking uh, teaching tool for you. It'll knock some sense into everyone. Seriously. If you said like, oh, I'm not going to go to that tournament or, oh, yeah, this guy can win um, the tournament over me or or whatever or, you know, you had a shit performance, I'm going to take some time off. Yeah. Just think about COVID next time. You know what I mean? Think about a year and a half and not being able to do shit. And unknown for the future of when the big tournaments are coming back, to be honest with you. Unknown for the future when they're going to be a 100% like non-restricted. So... That's a great teaching tool, man. Definitely. Have to see the positives in all the situations, I suppose. Yeah. So what's the next big goal after, let's say, becoming world champion, winning Nogi Worlds? Is it ADCC? Is that kind of the, the top of the list? Yeah, ADCC has been my goal since I was in eighth grade. Wow. Um, so that's been like the goal. That's been the dream. That's been kind of what keeps me going through uh dark times of tournaments and results that's the that's the big goal right now you know be adcc champion so what's the next thing we can expect from you dante do you have anything coming up soon any super fights or i i don't have anything set in stone you know it's always some 
communication about different things. Always some ideas getting bounced around, but I don't have anything set in stone yet that's worth uh, announcing. But I'm I'm looking to do some super fights this year and kind of stay on that. It looks like COVID's still a thing, and uh, a lot of these tournaments aren't aren't coming up. But I'm I'm looking to definitely uh, do some more of these super fights. You know, big goal there, ADCC, and it would be great to compete and win a Nogi World title with the new heel hook rules, man. I mean, I think it's going to be awesome, you know, at the end of the day to say I won in both rule sets. That That's another huge goal of mine. Um, you know, some people, when they win a world title once, they're like, you know, I did it, so I'm out. You know what I mean? And Yeah. I won, and now there's no pressure to say that I have to win a Black Belt world title, but now I feel like it's come back because – there's the new rules, you know, so I don't want anybody to look at my career after if, if with the legacy I built and say like, oh, but he never won in the sub only rules, you know, that would be fucking shit to hear that. So definitely going to try and get a, get a win in the in the new rules. And I think that it uh, favors me quite well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the the new rules as well. So hopefully I'll see you on the top of the podium there soon. enough. Awesome, man. Yeah, I think it's a great fit for you as well, man. I mean, yeah coming from a submission-only background and a, a, a forward game where you're actually looking to submit opponents and not uh, squeak out victories, I think it's going to be great for you, man. Nice. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show, Dante. It was great talking to you today. Looking forward to seeing you back on the mat soon, putting on some exciting matches. Thank you very much, Tom. Always a pleasure talking to you, man. I'm glad we can do this for uh, some other people for the uh, podcast now rather than just sitting around shooting the shit, you and I. There you have it. Thanks, Dante, for coming on the show. It was great to get a bit of an insight into some of the perseverance that's needed to reach that next level and to be able to compete against some of the best competitors in the world. It was also very interesting to hear Dante's take on how he cross-trains wrestling, which gave him a big advantage over some of his opponents, especially at the ADCC World Championships. I hope you all enjoyed the chat. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and give a good rating where possible as well. That helps a lot. Next week, we'll be back with another world champion with and plenty of great stories to tell. Until then, Slánagas Banachta.